This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here, sharing a couple of quick housekeeping notes as we get ready to kick off season two of the Tech Money podcast. First, I want to make sure you're aware we have a brand new home and a brand new look online. The show now has its own dedicated website with each of the past podcast episodes and blog posts all in one place. That web address is tech-money.com. Again, that's tech-money.com. We welcome your feedback, so feel free to shoot us a note and let us know what you think. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the Tech Money newsletter. The newsletter is also a new edition that will be released every Friday afternoon and include our most recent blog posts, podcast episodes, and any interesting news around technology and or money that we think you'd like to. Also, a quick thank you to our super passionate audience of money nerds. In 2021, our first year of production, we reached over 20,000 downloads. Actually, in less than 10 months, but who's counting? Anyone who's ever created a podcast before knows just how big an accomplishment that is, and that couldn't have happened without your support. We also appreciate those of you who have written into the show's email inbox or messaged us via social media. And just as an FYI, the email address has changed too. You can now reach out to us with any questions, comments, or kudos via podcast at tech-money.com. Again, that's podcast at tech-money.com. We look forward to our next listener questions episode where we share some of your favorite emails with the entire listening audience. And if you haven't already, we ask that you keep sharing this show with your friends and colleagues, leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcast listening app, and also subscribe so that new episodes will show up in your podcast feed automatically. These things will help more people discover this show and help us to expand the community of money nerds even more. Now with that, let's get into the show. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking startups. More specifically, we're talking about ways to fund your new business venture using the funds in your various retirement savings accounts. Starting a new business and acquiring those first few customers is hard enough, but most entrepreneurs, even those who have a killer idea and experience success right out of the gate, struggle to finance their new ventures in the early days. When a person makes the decision to start a new business, They're taking a leap of faith that their idea will catch fire and they'll see sales grow fast enough to prove the concept to themselves and to the market. However, just because you're willing to bet on yourself and take that leap of faith 
does not mean the banks and other traditional lenders are willing to take it with you. In most cases, they aren't. Typically, banks won't lend to businesses without an operating history of at least two years, and this forces entrepreneurs to pull their personal finances and put them at risk. Tapping into their personal savings, the equity in their home, maybe a personal loan, which can be very expensive. Uh, those are all very expensive sources of capital. Maybe you liquidate your retirement savings, which also comes along with plenty of tax penalties. However, the IRS has allowed for certain carve outs in the tax code, often referred to as Rob's plans. These plans we'll get into a little bit later on in the show. But when executed properly, there are ways for entrepreneurs to invest their retirement savings into a new business venture without incurring taxes, early withdrawal penalties or loan costs. These transactions can be extremely complicated to execute, which is why it's imperative to work with an experienced and competent provider, as well as an attorney familiar with these types of transactions. And since I've never spent a day in anyone's law school class, let alone pass the bar in any state, I thought I better call up someone I know who has for this particular subject. Dahl Link is both an ERISA attorney, well-versed in the intricacies of these types of plans, and she's also a partner at the Washington, D.C.-based law firm, KLB Law Group. Prior to joining, she worked for a number of firms here in D.C. and out on the West Coast after she received her J.D. from Stanford Law School. So, needless to say, she's very well-versed in the ways these plans work. With that brief introduction, welcome Dahl Link to the Tech Money Podcast. Thank you, Malcolm. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you agreeing to do this. This should be fun. So mm -hmm. to get us kicked off here, I breezed through your resume pretty quickly there in my intro. What should I have included? Um, the, the, the name of the firm, it, we've changed our name to KLB Benefits Law Group. Um, so that the, the uh, full name. Did I butcher that one? Well, you said KLB Law Group. It's Sorry KLB Benefits Law Group. That's okay. It's a new name. We've only. Yeah, no, get me straight. Get me straight. It, it, it definitely matters. People Googling uh, the, me the entire, uh, sure. the entire name. Yeah, we're a boutique ERISA firm based in Washington, D.C. We also have an attorney in California um, and we work in ERISA. Uh, we, we advise on all sorts of uh, types of plans, including these Rob's plans. So you guys still have an attorney out on the West Coast. And I mentioned that you went to Stanford for law school. So mm -hmm. what in the world are you doing back here in D.C. when you had that beautiful weather out there on the West Coast and you <laughs> traded it for not oh, only I, cold, but also humidity? Uh, I'm actually I'm originally from the East Coast. I'm from Philadelphia and I, I went mm -hmm. to UVA undergrad um, and. I prefer it. I prefer the East Coast, honestly. <laughs> I do. I, Stanford's gorgeous. It's a beautiful location. Um, sure. But the I, I love D.C. I love big cities. I After Stanford, I was living in a small town in California, and I prefer cities. So I was. it's actually my husband's job that brought us back this, this direction, but I'm happy to be I here. I see. Blame him. Blame him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's great, though. It's And it's also cool to live in different places, you know. So I've enjoyed the variety of different, yeah, no, I, different places. I get it. I've had people tell me, I don't believe that it's true, but I've had people tell me that like grew up, born, raised, lived their entire lives in places like Pasadena, uh, mm -hmm. the Bay Area, where the weather is pretty consistently, you know, 
75 degrees and Perfect. sunny most yeah. of the days of the year. And I'm yeah. always like, why would you trade that in for this nonsense? And every time people are like, well, you know, I wanted to live somewhere different. And I also wanted to experience the different seasons rather than have it be yeah. the same all the time. And I'm like, that is utter nonsense as a person who grew up here. Oh. That makes, but I, I understand, I, I can understand con conceptually. I don't understand yeah. like in my heart. Well, I missed the seasons, I tell you. I did. I missed the change of seasons. I, yeah. California is beautiful, but it was a little bit like being stuck on vacation. You know, hmm. I, I was happy to come back. What a problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. Anyway, well, to get us, get us kicked off here, you know, for most people listening, you mentioned that you guys are ERISA attorneys, and that's a very specific, very specialized uh, mm -hmm. type of work, you know, the extent mm -hmm. of most people's knowledge around ERISA is maybe that they know that they make the rules that govern what they can and can't do inside of their company's 401 play 401k plan or some other mm -hmm. similar, you know, company sponsored plan, maybe, but many are not familiar with the agency and its rulemaking ability. So why don't you just explain for our listeners just what types of cases or transactions an ERISA attorney works on day in and day out? Well, we advise the employers that sponsor the, the plans, the retirement plans and the medical uh, insurance plans and mm -hmm. other kinds of benefit plans. If, if it's a plan and governed by ERISA, which is most benefits, um, then there's two government agencies primarily that, that, uh, that, uh, supervise or, gov uh, you know, uh, would deal with the compliance of these plans. And that's the, the, um, Department of Labor. Mm -hmm. and the Internal Revenue Service. And the Department of Labor focuses on the employees being treated fairly by the plan, and the um, IRS focuses on the tax qualification rules to, to get the tax benefits, which, as most people are aware, the, the main tax benefit of retirement plans and other benefit plans is that there is no tax on those savings um, for retirement. There is no tax on the savings while they're uh, contributed and um, uh, growing in investment and in, as investments. But and there's only tax um, uh, under when when the uh, funds are used mm -hmm. at, at, in retirement. So that uh, those those uh, beautiful benefits come with. The tax benefits come with it, lots of strings attached. So, oh, of course, um, the, the the employers are in charge of of um, that compliance. The, the 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 ordinary employees who are just participating in the plans don't really have to worry about too much. Um, they have to, you know, they don't have too many rules to follow. It's the employers sponsoring the plans that have a lot to do to. Um, you know, cover, make sure that their employees plan are covered properly. And everything. and it feels like a lot to do for them. I can say yeah. from, from the work that my firm has done with the corporate plans that uh, we manage, I have seen where, uh, you know, it's the last thing inside the company that, you know, most anybody wants to have to be dealing with, but it's also <laughs> the biggest like hot potato that everybody's deathly afraid of getting an ERISA notice. <laughs> And it can be like a time bomb if, you yeah. know, like a time bomb hot potato. <laughs> also, I, sorry, I didn't really answer your question. What we do all day is, um, we, uh, clients, companies engage us to defend them to the IRS when there's an, an examination of the plan or to mm -hmm. the Department of Labor if there's an investigation. 
and that happens with some frequency. And then also the um, people become aware of on their own, uh, employers will become aware of uh, problems with their plans, compliance, and will help them correct uh, failures uh, so that they they can restore the plan to compliance. Because the jet, what's sort of hanging in the balance is all those tax benefits can disappear uh, from the date that a failure occurs until until it's corrected. You're using the words compliance and failure, which are uh, attorney words. And so I want to uh, okay. specifically ask the question real quick. Uh, as far as that's concerned, I imagine you're the team that I call when I, as a business owner or one of the super highly compensated people who work for the company, get one of those notices that I have over contributed to my plan for the year based on what the rules will allow yes. based on the testing and all that stuff that has to happen in those kind of sure, things. Sure. Right? That, that's, yes, that's an excellent example of a, of a failure that occurs. It's an op- That's called an operational failure. It's just a, 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 mis- a mistake and excess amount being contributed. And that can be, uh, it, it, it's, those are common. It's expected that these sorts of things will happen. It's easy to correct them. Um, if you if you don't correct a failure, however, then your your tax qualifications in jeopardy, and mm-hmm. you could lose your tax benefits. So the the compliance just means following the rules, and um, and a failure is a mistake that's not corrected. And, and uh, once it's corrected, then it's you're you're good to go into the future. And it keeps us very busy because there's a lot to, <laughs> there are a lot of rules in the plan, yeah. as you, as you know, Malcolm, um, there are a lot of, uh, rules to follow. Awesome. Well, let's transition for a second to the sort of the meat of the, the, the conversation that I teed up initially where, you know, mm-hmm. I, I am a founder of a startup. I'm looking to get my hands on some cash to be able to bring this idea to fruition. Banks have laughed me out of the room or or off their website because I guess you can just apply, you know, on your computer at this point. Or I've, you know, tried to pitch angel investors or various different uh, venture capital investors on my idea. Nobody's really seeing it or they're telling me, go prove the concept first, right? Get to your minimum viable product and then come talk to us after you're just too early, right? It's kind of the common refrain that people tend to get. And so I decide, you know what, I'm just going to take the 200, 500 million dollars, whatever it is that I've saved into my 401k plan. I'm going to cash that bad boy out and I'm going to use that money to start this company. And I can already see the steam coming out of your ears as I say that, because you know that there is a better way to do this using the same pool of funds, but not selling everything in there, liquidating the account and paying that giant IRS tax bill on day one to get access to your own money. So let's get into that for a second. Can you describe how a company retirement plan like a 401k can be used to finance that startup idea? Yes. um, The, the, what, what the basic outline of this Rob's uh, funding technique is to establish a C corporation that the start that will be the startup, and that corporation sponsors, ad- adopts, establishes a new retirement plan, and it's a retirement plan that permits the uh, participants to direct their own investments, mm-hmm. and then the. Um, the employees of that company, which is probably at least this one person who's the, the dreamer, the startup uh, founder, uh, that person needs to be, it needs to be an operating company in the, the, um, n- as opposed to an investment company. And the, the employee 
or maybe there's two or three employees who are interested in doing this. They are hired by the company as W-2 employees. Mm-hmm. And the they as eligible employees for, under the terms of this plan that, that the company has adopted, these people can choose to roll funds into their new plan accounts mm-hmm. from some other place, which is a, a prior employer's retirement plan or an IRA. Um, it must be a traditional IRA. This doesn't work for, for Roth IRAs. But if you t- if these new employees of the startup roll funds into their new plan accounts, they can use those funds. They, they may direct the plan to invest those funds in employer securities. And employer securities are the, the stock of the corporation itself. So you're, you're telling your, your plan that's sponsored by your company, hey, I want to invest in the company. Mm-hmm. And the plan does that. And, and it's it, those, those, that particular type of stock is just common stock, but it's called for the plan purposes, it's called qualifying employer securities. And the qualifying employer securities, which I call QES for short, or everybody calls QES for short, <laughs> um, those, those securities are highly regulated. And ordinarily, any investment or any transaction between a retirement plan and its company that's sponsoring it would be a prohibited mm. transaction. That's a, a f- you know, f- forbidden under the code. But the, the qualifying player securities ha- are meet an exception under the, this prohibited transaction rules. Um, that's found in ERISA at section 408E of ERISA, um, and some related sections and regulations that, uh, permit the retirement plan to invest in, in the employer securities. So there's a, there's a few, very strict um, minimum requirements for this. Mm-hmm. The, the, the company that's sponsoring the plan must be a C corporation. So it cannot be an, an LLC or it can't take the S election. Mm-hmm. Um, it must be, nor, nor can it be a sole proprietorship. It needs to be a C corporation. And the, it needs to be an operating company. A, an investment company it can't be just, you know, the, 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 it has to be pr- you know, producing goods or services. I'm not going to set this up to go buy rental real estate, basically. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. So, so, and just as a side note, the, if you do want to do a passive investment in something where, you, you know, you're not going to work in the company or so it's someone else's company, you're not going to work in it. You, the, mm-hmm. you, the, uh, you know, investor, you can do that with your, with your self-directed IRA. Sure. Talk to your IRA custodian about that. But if, if you yourself are going to work for the company or and it needs to be an operating company, then yeah, you, it's not for passive investments exactly. And yeah, then, the way and I, there's oh sorry. The way I understand this, just to to put a button on that, uh, is you as the owner, as soon as you complete this transaction, get the funds out of your four hundred one k and into the the new company's plan. You're immediately filing an amendment that basically says nobody else can do this, right? So that, that oh, takes away the ability of that investor that you're talking about who would try and come along later on and say, I'm going to do this same transaction. You mean for, um, like, you, what, this is only going to be offered to people who are eligible for the plan to begin with or eligible Which to participate? Which is basically so employee empl- numero, employees. Right? Yeah, employee, employees of the company. Now, if the, the, the Rob's investor or or small group of investors who are starting the the company with the Rob's plan, they 
usually um, offer the they they must offer the plan to any employees that are employed at the time. So usually in a startup, there isn't anybody else but the right. founders. So that it just works out. While that offer is o- open, while that option is available in the plan, then yeah, that it, no one else is going to be able to take advantage of it. But you know, you if if there were other folks in the company, they would have they would get a notice that that says you have the option to buy these qualifying employer securities also because other people in the plan have done it. We're mm-hmm. making you aware that it's an option that's required under ERISA. You can't treat employees unfairly. You know, you can't keep um, keep it just uh, available to a select few. But those rank and file employees, those ordinary people who who may or may not even have money to invest in the company, are 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 well advised to avoid this kind of investment. It's very sure. risky, and they would be minority shareholders. It's, it, there's a lot that goes into that decision, and they would be very, very unlikely to make that decision. I've, I've never seen that happen. Well, let me let me back this train up for a second. We got super technical, super fast, and so I want to make sure that I sort of unpack a lot of what you just gave me, um, because there was a lot of, of good information in there, and I want to make sure that anybody listening to this who needs the information didn't miss different bits and pieces of it. So one thing I want to get clear really quickly, if I go to the, the, the Rob's route, am I required to pay the age 59 and a half early withdrawal penalty or ordinary income tax the way I would with a regular distribution? No. No, this this is all within the scope of a of a qualified rollover, either from your IRA or your former employer plan, that is it remains uh, tax deferred. So there's okay. there's no. So because I'm going one tax deferred vehicle 401k to the new tax deferred vehicle 401k, I'm allowed to avoid paying any income taxes or or early withdrawal excise tax on that because it's still a tax deferred to tax deferred transaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. so the, so you would just the, the 1099R that shows that rollover that your your tax reporting would code that as a, a non-taxed event, you know, non-taxed. Okay. Event. The reason I wanted to make sure that I, I I got that clear and on the record is because I teed this up by saying it's a better alternative for folks who normally would be wanting to use retirement funds as sort of a a, a last resort uh, to get their hands on the funding to start the, the company. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it keeps you from, from doing that, um, is, is where I wanted to go with that. But then uh, another thing as you're talking, I'm thinking about this, like, I don't want to come off as a wet blanket here, but I can't help but think <laughs> about how many small businesses don't make it beyond year three. Right. And then I think about how hard it is to make up ground in your retirement savings. Once you take a mm-hmm. big distribution from your 401k or, or IRA like this, would yeah. you consider this the, the same way that I've been teeing it up as a last resort source of funding for a business, or am I thinking about this wrong? Yes and no. I I, I think of this as sort of a, a yes, it is a last resort unless there are certain circumstances. And it, for example, okay. it, it, for a person who's starting up a business who's um, doing who's it, who, for whom this is not their first startup. Uh, who has experience and and therefore a little bit more likelihood of success it's probably it's not as risky because they there there's a mm-hmm. lower chance that they'll um, fail and also there's um i i think it's a it's i have seen this succeed handily in situations where uh the the investor is using the retirement 
funds as their part of the of the um, financial package that's approved by an SBA loan. So mm-hmm. when when you get an SBA loan, you have to cough up some money of your own, and these ROBS funds, yeah, they want scam yeah, and name. the ROBS funds can do can be that that investment, that personal uh, contribution to the to the financing. And uh, the, so, and okay. one other the reason that the SBA. I mean, I'm not saying that it's it's a hand, you know, that's, that therefore there's no risk. Of course, you're still risking your retirement savings. Yeah. But the the fact that there's a bank, uh, you know, using the SBA uh, program that's approving it, it gives, uh, you know, it gives a, a third party that's a, sort of vetting the whole venture that gives me comfort that at least somebody uh, that that it's not just uh, wishful thinking of on the on the Rob's owners part you know it, it's the, the startup person's part it's actually been blessed by the whole venture's been approved by a lender that that's you know gives sort of as a kind of security i suppose or you know reassurance um but it's and also it well one good thing about it from a personal standpoint i know there's it is a huge risk but it's also true that you're mm-hmm. not that because the business entity exists it's, this is not a sole proprietorship it's not attached to your personal assets because it's a separate entity taking the risk of loss it that you you have a protection against personal bankruptcy there you can lose your retirement savings mm-hmm. but you're not going into personal debt your your home isn't on the line so you have this sort of floor where okay so you, it's a calculated risk and it should be taken very very cautiously but um, at least you won't be going into debt, you know, with running up credit cards, for example, like to, to fund your dream, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, so and that I think that's a good counterpoint to what I just kind of laid out as my concern, where normally the SBA would tell you we need you to take out a, a mortgage against the equity in your house sort of as their backstop, right? If you don't have the cash available to make this happen, you don't want to tap into your retirement savings or you don't have any to make this happen. We need you to tap into the equity in your home and put a second uh, mortgage against that property to get that skin in the game so that we know you're serious and you're really in this for the long haul. Uh, And I always just feel like even if you took, you know, a less than favorable loan from a bank or some other sort of traditional lender, it could be a bit of a drag on revenue to pay it back initially, yes. right? But at least if your business went under, you'd still have your retirement savings left. But I wasn't thinking about that through the context of the SBA prefers to see me put skin in the game. And the last thing I want to do is compromise the roof over my head. I'd rather it be investment savings, even if they are earmarked for retirement. So maybe you just gave me a different way to think about how this transaction could be. Valuable. Yeah, I mean, but one one. Uh, sort of note that that you you alluded to earlier about um, not uh, not being able to make up lost retirement savings is that in most of the Rob's owners that I've met and I've I've done hundreds of Rob's transactions um, most of them do this in their forties when they've got enough in their retirement mm-hmm. savings mm-hmm. to make a different you know to make a meaningful contribution for example to buy a franchise or something. Uh, you know, it's enough that they, they've saved enough. And, um, but they're close to retire, they're closer to retirement, you know, so by the time, you know, closer than a 20 something, for example, so by the time and you know, they're in the middle of life with all those demands on your finances, you know, kids and kids in school sure. and such. 
Um, so it's a little bit scary. You know, they, they, they're closer to needing that retirement money when they're just at the point when they're thinking about risking it. So it, it is, again, it's, it's something to be undertaken very, very cautiously. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, there is no startup without mm -hmm, risk, right. right? You're essentially jumping yeah. off a cliff and stitching together your parachute at the same time. <laughs> yes. So I, yes. I, I completely understand. Yes, you know, speaking as a business I, owner myself, I, also, I could not agree more. Yes. Yeah. So answer this one for me. Does it have to be a startup or can I use this option to give myself a capital infusion into an already existing business? You, too? you can use it um, in the at, at, in the middle of the life of the company, you know, after it's uh, been established, there's no rule that says that this ha that these shares have to be newly issued or, or what's the word new, you know, for a startup. Mm -hmm. The I call that a midstream robs, you know. So you, you're going along and you need the capital infusion. And in fact, some robs owners start out with the robs in the beginning and then um, tap into it again. You know, later they they do another robs transaction. So you can do you can do a series hmm. of robs transactions. And there's just a bunch of rules associated with with it. Um, so it's, you know the the details are important to avoid. Um, uh, you know, falling afoul of the rule, the tax rules here, but, but it's, um, it can work and, and you just have to be sensitive to the fact that you're, um, offering, you know, the plan has to be amended to permit it. It has to, again, it must be a C corporation. So you can change the entity type. People have done that. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you know, you'd have to change the entity type if it's not a C corporation. Um, yeah. And we've, we've had people, um, recently I did a transaction for a person who, who, uh, bought out her employer, by starting a by using a robs uh funding that which is, is very exciting it was a, a that's a full a, circle yeah well right it was there. a nine million dollar deal and her retirement savings represented about a million of it so it was very mm -hmm. that's a very that, exciting I, I mean, <laughs> you know non-startup version of using robs and Talk about betting yes, yourself. Yes, yes. And so it was very, <laughs> very exciting because doing a, an acquisition or merger with a new company is always exciting from a benefits point of view anyway. Um, so it, it's yeah, that was a, a thrilling transaction. To that, more to that point, I guess I should say, I have been told that these types of plans are perfect for someone wanting to purchase a franchise. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Um, I think it's because uh, the franchisers know it exists and they discuss it a lot. Um, you know, the franchise, mm -hmm. um, you know, sellers. The, um, and so, and, you know, it's true. I mean, why not? You can do it with a franchise. And the, the other thing is that the, the amount of money available is sort of a nice fit for a franchise because most franchises, whatever mm. they, they, whatever they run, I'm not even sure. I've worked with many, many franchise franchisees, but um, I say they mm -hmm. run between, you know, 50 and $150,000, right, to, um, to buy sure. into the franchise to buy the single the single franchise. Um, that's that fits within most people's uh, retirement uh, savings that they, they've got at the time. What's the word that they're, they're ready to invest in a new company? There are. There yeah. Are. And you know, franchises are it. less so likely to fail than a non-franchise, mm -hmm. I think. So, you, you know, there's, although that's just, that's not always true. You know, I've also helped franchises go through the very painful process of unwinding a ROBS due to failure. You know, you can, you can unwind hmm. a ROBS at any time, but when you have to do it because the company's going under, it's very, very painful. Yeah. 
So, so not specifically anything in the code that makes it more attractive for them. It's just that's the place that I'm going to the conferences. I'm going to the, uh, the different meetings. My, my CPA is more familiar with it, all those kind of things. And so that's just the group that's gravitated more toward, toward than anybody yes. else. Yes. It seems to have been as, as okay. part of the, the market there. They, they like to promote this idea. So you mentioned earlier on that the only business or not the only one of the businesses that's prohibited from this type of transaction is if you're going to use it for passive mm -hmm. investing, investing yep. firms. Are there any other businesses that are excluded from using Rob's fund? No, no. Any lawful business that's an operating company, that's a C corporation. You said any lawful business, I'm going to assume that kicks out. <laughs> oh, well, you can, uh, no, you can actually, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's entities. becoming such a gray area now, isn't it? Um, yeah, there are lawyers that specialize in startups for the cannabis industry, we, we call it. <laughs> um, but I, I'm not yeah. one of them, but, but yeah, the, you, you, but yeah, you can do anything, um, any business at all. It has to just follow those, those various rules. On that note, though, what are some of the more interesting businesses you've seen folks start using their retirement funds? Oh, real everything under the sun, every kind of franchise, you know, uh, burger joints, Jimmy John's, uh, dry cleaners. Um, um, I've, I, there's a, a plastic surgery clinic I, I've had experience with. Um, That's a, a large advertising agency. All kinds of different services. Oh, and I suppose uh, you know I have. To, I apologize. I. I Remembered now in response to your last question about what companies are not allowed to be funded in this way, I believe that the state laws governing law firms in particular, and maybe some doctor's practices, will not permit the these hmm. entities to be C corporations or they there's mm -hmm. there's sometimes there's a interference with what type of entity uh, can or cannot be a C corporation, and that can cause problems with, um, with you know, that can prevent you from using a ROBS to start it. So, so but it, that really, that depends on state law. But in any case, um, you just, for most businesses that, that do ROBS, I mean, they're, they're the ones, you know, I've, we've had uh, clothing factories, um, all kinds huh. of different businesses, uh, yoga studios, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> you know, all, all the all the franchises you can think of. We've had people use these Rob's plans to fund all those kinds of things, and and, and uh, including and and non franchise ones too. Yeah, but yeah. So I'm going to go back real quick to an, uh, another one of your uh, where I said we got into the weeds and started getting trend, uh, technical. A couple different. Uh, terms you were using prohibited transactions and self-dealing and the reason those kind of perked my ears up uh, are because you know in 2021 there was quite a bit of hubbub if you will regarding folks who had figured out uh, i'm saying folks in air quotes people will know specifically who i'm referring to but f folks who had figured out ways to get shares of their founder stock into their retirement accounts once upon a time and you know now we're talking you know million and billion dollar multi-million and, and billion dollar ira balances in some cases and the IRS has come out even stronger than before now in taking a hard line against 
quote unquote, prohibited transactions and quote unquote, self-dealing. And so can you just explain what those terms mean and how they can actually occur? Yeah. In in the context of these plans, the, the, the uh, employer-sponsored retirement plans, which is what these ROBS plans are, you know, and this is a big mm-hmm. universe, right? These are for all 401k plans, all profit-sharing plans. These are all employer-sponsored retirement plans. So this is distinct from the IRAs. Um, the IRAs all have their own set of rules and problems, and that's there too. But for the ROBS plans the, the and all retirement plans that are sponsored by a company, the um, prohibited transactions are require careful um, – you just have to follow the rules not to do business between the, – the, have transactions occurring between the plan and the and the company that's sponsoring the plan or the between the plan and anyone in control of the company. So for example, the plan couldn't decide that it needed to hire somebody uh, to work for the plan directly who was uh, involved with the company, you know, a, the like a director of the company or a spouse of the director of a company. Um, it, it couldn't do, um, it couldn't hire the registered investment advisor who's advising the plan on, on plan investments. It couldn't hire that per, the, uh, that person from a company that's owned by a director of the company or a relative of a director, that, that kind of thing. So all those sort of, um, cozy deals, I guess, where it just sounds like, gosh, the, that person got this money from the plan doing business, doing legitimate business, right, for the plan, like whatever it may be. But they got that job because they know somebody in the company who's sponsoring the plan like that. That's not that's not cool. <laughs> and it is a yeah. it is a prohibited transaction. And even the things there, there's I, could, I do a lot of prohibited transaction work for um, IRA investors as well as for these retirement plans uh, if for, that are sponsored by companies. And and the the whole universe of PT, can the, the prohibited transaction law, can be um, navigated. You can, you can organize things properly so that you don't c- commit a prohibited transaction. But with the company-sponsored retirement plans, there's another layer that people often don't think about that's um, – that you're not allowed, even if you can get around the, the technical prohibited transaction rules, you can still f- commit a fiduciary violation by not keeping the plan foremost in conflict of interest. So it's not, not, you need to, what's the word? Um, you need to preserve the assets of the plan solely for the benefit of the, of the plan participants. Right. So mm. you're, you're not allowed to, even if you can find some way to get around these, the, the, the sort of black letter rules of the prohibited transaction parts of the code, you, you're not allowed to, um, do something that's, um, is, pre- you know, preferring or leaning towards something that could maybe become a prohibited transaction, I guess. It's, it's, it, that's the best way to describe it is you can't, um, come near doing a prohibited transaction either. And that's, that's the gray area. It's, it, it's very, but it's very important for the, for Rob's plans and for all retirement plans to remember the fiduciary rules and that, that exclusive benefit rule I just mentioned that you have to keep the plan participants uh, first in your priorities. So I I know that uh, this work tends to be pretty subjective, so I'm not going to ask you to give us any sort of quote live here on the air. Right. There's no gotcha here. Mm -hmm. But what does it typically cost in your estimation to establish 
a Rob's plan, right? Said another way, do I need to be already rich or is it something most people can reasonably afford to tap into? I, I believe that you, you don't need to be wealthy to do a Rob's transaction. Um, you mean, okay. I mean, I, I mean, obviously the, the money that's used to finance the company is a lot of money by most people's mm-hmm. standards, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, a half a million, a million, whatever it may be, that that's what that amount is, is what it is, right. But but the expense of, of establishing the robs, the, the transaction costs doesn't have to be very high. Um, most of the big robs promoters that are out there uh, will charge about $5,000 for the service of okay. setting up the plan. Um, a, if you did it through a business consultant, or a third-party administrator that's not a Rob's promoter, you could do it a little bit more cheaply, um, cer- certainly cheaper than $5,000. I-, I think that's on the high end, the $5,000. And I myself, I very rarely um, do Rob's plans. Um, my, uh, it's, it, Our law firm doesn't, we don't sponsor plans. We don't write the plan documents. We don't, you know, we, we would refer somebody to a plan provider um, anyway, but we would, I, I wouldn't bother referring somebody to a promoter, I'd refer them to a good third party administrator that knows Rob's plans. Then uh, there, there are a couple that are very good. Right. And you guys are sort of seated in the middle, helping me stay on the right side of right as we're creating that plan document. Exactly. Yeah, because the, the none of the a, a good a third party administrator that that would help uh, establish the plan and sell the plan document, for example, to the company. That good, a good third-party administrator will not try to practice law. They'll they'll tell mm-hmm, mm-hmm. somebody you need an attorney to do the corporate side of things. You need an attorney to advise you on the plan, the prohibited transaction rules, and the plan-related stuff. But there, you know that, and that's great. You know, you don't. There's no particular reason that an attorney has to get involved initially. Um, but it's it's probably a good idea, at least for a little bit of advice. Um, you know, I, as always, this is my plug for lawyers in general, is that the, <laughs> the, the lawyer is looking out. Is you pay the lawyer to look out for you. you, you their job, like my job, is is to look out for your interests. Um, whereas all the other service providers are providing a service, but they're looking out for their interests. They, they're protecting their, their rear ends. They've got, they know how to do that. And they often, they just don't have the, they don't need to protect your interests. They, they provide you yeah. a service. It's a contractual arrangement and that's that. But the lawyer is looking, looking out for you. So there's, and you know, I know lots about Rob's things that a new, a company founder won't know so i can help find f- sort of look for the pitfalls avoid the pitfalls well awesome that's good stuff um well thanks doll uh this was great where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and or your firm after this goes live um our website is www.erisadc.com that's e r i s a d c com and I happen to have a Rob's blog uh, a, a blog on our website that includes a series of, of Rob's posts that will be growing it, the, the site's only been re- added this blog recently but we're going to be including Rob's topics on that because I'm very much interested in in uh, compliance and helping Rob's owners stay on the straight and narrow so their their companies can succeed sure well with that, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close us out, sir? 
All right. Thank you, Malcolm. And thank you, Dahl, so much for being here. In the interest of full disclosure, we think it's important to let the listening audience know that Dahl Lank is also a client of the financial planning firm where Malcolm works. However, she is not being compensated for doing this interview, nor should her presence be construed as an endorsement of Malcolm or his firm. Next, and lastly, we want to thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review as this will help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at techmoney.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Um...